Good morning. Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. On today's study, we're going to continue looking at Acts chapter 10. A lot of interesting things, especially with the household of Cornelius, that we'll be considering in the latter half of Acts chapter 10. But before we do that, I'd like to ask Paul, if you would, to um, let everybody know how, how they can participate in today's study. Paul? Be happy to do that, John. If you are watching uh, on YouTube, you can just use the YouTube chat there. It's at youtube.com slash truthfactorlive. Uh, on Facebook, as well as Twitter, we're slash truthfactorlive, or if you're looking for a keyword, uh, truthfactorlive. And if you are at truthfactor.com, just click on the live viewing page. All of those would have ways to make comments and ask questions. We try to monitor that closely. And if we uh, are successful in that, we will bring in your comments and questions as we study along. Now, you may want to send an email at some point, and you can send that to questions at truthfactor.com. That's questions at truthfactor.com. Thank you, Paul. One of the things Paul and I were talking about earlier is um, we I have the domain truthfactorlive.com. And so I may end up altering the email address to be questions at truthfactorlive.com to kind of match the branding now that we're working with. Um, but until till then, it's still questions at truthfactor.com. All right, let's see. We have Mike, who is in charge of hosting today's study, and he's put a lot of thought and, and tears and sweat into the preparation. <laughs> so, Mike, if you would, go ahead and start today's study. Well, I am very grateful for those that are viewing with us and studying with us. And I'm grateful to this panel for the discussions that we've had off air uh, regarding some of the matters here with Cornelius. Let's bring you up to date. Cornelius is a Gentile. His trade is a centurion in the Roman army. And yet he was a very devout man, the Bible tells us. He prayed to God always. He had given much alms to the people. He was recognized by the Jews as a devout man, which is interesting. He being a Gentile is recognized by the Jews as being such a fine man. He was praying and received a vision that he was to send to Joppa and inquire for Peter, the apostle, who was lodged with Simon, a tanner. About that same time, Peter is in prayer. He too receives a vision. The vision was that a sheet knitted to four corners and filled with all types of unclean animals was let down before Peter, and the voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter responded, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice responded, What the Lord has cleansed, that call thou not common. He was told then to wait for the men coming from Cornelius, and when they arrived, he was to go with them to Cornelius's house. He does that. We find that Cornelius immediately bows down at Peter's feet. And Peter said, stand up. I also am a man. And so we studied this last week, that there is no respecter of persons. There's no hierarchy among preachers that they need to be bowed down to and worship. We're all men, and yet all men need the gospel. Yet Peter recognized that by the Jewish tradition, it was an unlawful thing for a Jew to be in the house of a Gentile. So he inquired of Cornelius, why did you send for me? And he began to tell him that he, about the vision he had, and that uh, all his household were gathered together, all things that were commanded 
of Peter regarding the Lord and what must be done. So beginning now at verse 24, or verse 34 rather, Peter's going to open his mouth and begin preaching. And uh, I'm sorry, Shelton, Brenda's not with us today. Shelton, I'm going to kind of advance you in our uh, outline list a little bit and ask you, if you would, please, to read verses 34 through 43 in just a moment. And while you're preparing for that, uh, Brian, if you're putting the questions in the chat room, uh, our chat room question for this section is, what power is the gospel of Christ Jesus? And that's, I'm just going to leave that question set right there and see what kind of answers we might get today. So, Shelton, if you could please read verses 34 through 43, and we'll begin our discussion. Absolutely. Out of the New King James Version today. So we're going to be reading verse 34 down through verse 43. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Thank you, Shelton. Now, while we're focused on you, I've got the first question to you. Could you condense what you just read and tell us precisely what it is Peter's preached to this house of Cornelius? Well, uh, he preaches basically a history lesson to the house of Cornelius. There's the way that I look at things. He goes through and just hits main highlights of what we read about uh, through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, their accounts of how things happen. And then he even goes into, you know, like uh, Matthew chapter 28 there. They're they're eating with Jesus. And uh, and uh, I might be wrong about that chapter now. I'm second-guessing myself. But anyway, 26. I'm sorry? Matthew 26. 26, there you go. So they're, they're eating and he, they're drinking with him. He commands them to preach to the people. Uh, but mainly what he's saying here to this house of Cornelius is that this Jesus of Nazareth was from God. Uh, this Jesus of Nazareth was resurrected from the dead, and he was the one that was ordained by God uh, and and uh, to judge the living and the dead, and that that's what they were commanded to preach. Well, you're exactly right. We would sum it up probably with one word and simply call it the gospel. The gospel, that's right. The, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Brian, because there's some folks that are just not with us today, let's go back over to you for a moment. And I'm going to ask you to examine with me verse 42. And that word commanded. For many years, I've said that there is no invitation, quote unquote, 
in the, in the New Testament regarding Christ, telling us about the gospel of Christ and our response to it. Instead, the word is command. Uh, we find John saying his commandments are not grievous. We find in this chapter a little later on that Cornelius will be commanded to be baptized. I'd like for you, if you would, please, to respond to the question, what was commanded and are we so commanded today when you examine verse 42 of this passage? Thanks a lot, Mike. Well, uh, so in verse 42, Peter says he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God. Um, we probably would call that the Great Commission. And in places like Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, or Mark 16, 15 and 16, where Jesus says to go into all the world and to preach the gospel uh, to every creature under heaven. So to Jesus' apostles, he gave this particular uh, direction, this particular commandment. Um, and so, so first of all, to answer the first part of that question, the, the command here of what is to be done is given by Jesus to the apostles, that they're to go to the, all the world and to preach the gospel. So, uh, Mike, I forgot. Was there a second question? That I, the I second part of it is, are we so commanded today? Well, we have, we do have a similar command, Mike, and I think some people even would say we have the same command. But, but our uh, the the original implication of the Great Commission to go into all the world, the apostles would tell us that they had fulfilled that commission. Paul would say so in the Book of Romans when he'd say that we have preached this gospel to the world. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul would say it twice, that we have preached the gospel to every creature under heaven. Uh, mm -hmm. Jesus, of course, would say that before, in Matthew 24, that before the temple would be destroyed, the gospel would be preached to the whole world. So mm -hmm. in some ways, that gospel, that message was fulfilled because the apostles preached that to both the Jew and the Gentile, which in some ways is the way that they imply the idea of being the whole world. Now, mm -hmm. we're still under obligation to bring that message to all men. Um, our obligation is is somewhat different. It's not as though every Christian is obligated to, go, to to travel the whole world all the time like the apostles were under that obligation. Our obligation is different. Uh, oftentimes we might look at a statement like 1 Peter 3, 15 as, as our obligation, our commandment that we are to uh, be ready with a defense for the hope that is within us. Uh, that Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, let our light shine so that we will glorify men. So, so while while our commission might not be rendered like that great commission, we're still under an obligation to be people that certify the gospel in our lives and bring it to other men all the time. I appreciate that, Brian. Let, let me open this uh, dialogue to all of you on the panel and see what your thoughts may be. If we were to look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20, you find that, in, as Brian has rightly said, the apostles were charged to get to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, those that they baptized, the, those things that I've commanded you. So in a sense, we've got a chain reaction here. If we're taught the gospel, then baptized, then we're taught to go teach and baptize others and teach them to teach and baptize others and teach them to teach and baptize others. It's ad infinitum here. What would you say to the fact that once we've been baptized, our obligation is to share that same saving gospel with somebody, sometime, all the time? If we did, like, how would the word of God continue to be taught? That's that's the thought that I've had. If if there you know comes a generation that like you're talking about that uh, those who have been baptized then uh, 
fail to go and teach others that that same salvation and that same gospel, then then it then it dies. So you're right. Paul, you had a comment there. Well, I like to think of uh, our commission as being the one found in Second Timothy chapter two and verse two, where Paul told Timothy that the things that he had been taught, he was to commit to faithful men who would be able to teach others also. So Paul taught Timothy. Timothy was to teach others. Those others were to continue teaching others mm-hmm. and so on and so on. And so uh, I sometimes, uh, some of you aren't as old as me, probably uh, some of you are older than me, but there used to be a commercial on television. It was a shampoo commercial. And uh, they would t- they'd say, we told two friends. It was apparently such a great shampoo that you know you had to tell everybody you knew and they told two friends and if you remember the screen just filled up with people and Mm -hmm. uh, i think that's how that's the principle of the gospel is that uh, we tell others the same message that we have heard and obeyed being a little facetious so paul i'm rather surprised you looked at shampoo commercials Uh, i I don't uh, have much for that. i had to say it it was on my mind it just had well mike um, go ahead john something to think about um Paul, first off, in Paul's illustration, Paul, it would have been Mike telegraphed two people, then they telegraphed two people, and so forth. Um, <clears throat> but the shampoo is interesting. All right, here's something something to think about with with, with everything we're talking about. And and I'm I'm not I don't disagree with our responsibility to, to teach. So don't misunderstand me there. But in the beginning, the New Testament, the gospel, it probably took ten to twenty years for a good portion of it to finally be written down and copied and distributed among brethren. So within the first 10 to 20 years, it was crucial that people went and taught others about the gospel of Christ. There's no other way they would have heard about it. Well, nowadays, everybody who has a Bible has the gospel within their grasp. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not they will listen to it, whether or not they will read it and listen to what it says is another story. But I think there's a little bit of a difference to kind of keep in mind that back then there wasn't the written gospel yet. So it, it was paramount that people taught. Nowadays, you go up to a house and say, hey, would you like to have a Bible study? You're presuming they have a Bible. And mm. most of the time they're going to have a Bible. Um, so I, it doesn't change your responsibility, but but the situation... It's a little bit different today than it was in the very beginning. It is indeed. And let me add to that, John, we could go for hours on this discussion, I guess. It's interesting to me that they had no tape recorders. Uh, They had no MP3 devices that they could record it and share it on computers and such. These people to remember it, my guess is they took a lot of notes on what they had to hear. And then they'd go home and they would discuss that with one another. We find in Acts chapter 2, they met from house to house, having fellowship one with another. They reasoned on these things daily. Yep. They, 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 they were, go ahead. I was going to say, they very well, you know, after the sermon was preached on Sunday, they may have rehearsed the things that they had learned through the course of that week. I'm I'm concerned that in present day, and I'm not trying to slap anybody in the face on this, just being a realist as I think I am. Mm-hmm. Too many people today that take the sermon, go home and say, wasn't that nice? Let's turn on the football game. There's no second you know? thought given to it. And yeah. we, we, we need to set aside time in our lives. And, and I'm talking to brethren and, and all that are listening. 
we've got to start setting time aside and let God do the and we need to do the listening. That's what happened at Cornelius' house. If you examine very carefully at verse 33, he said simply, Now, therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. I'm satisfied we don't have the complete sermon. We have a portion of it. We have enough to know that it persuaded Cornelius and his household to be obedient. But the discussion of these things was daily in those days, and it was fervent. I I pray daily that we can get back to such a discussion of these things. Well, on uh, on on that subject, let's go back to the chat room question. Are there any responses to that? Uh, of what power is this gospel of Christ? Yes, uh, there are. Have. I think Tom, did you have a comment first to bring out before we get those? Maybe. Well, uh, well, yeah, uh, kind of lot, lots of thoughts dealing on on the spreading of the gospel and so on. You know, how did they do it in the first century? You know, I, I, I've been preparing this book that I'm going to be presenting or or preparing lessons on evidences, and one of the things we're going to deal with is is, is the Bible and the life of Jesus and so on. And it, it's an interesting question to ask: how did how did they proclaim the word of God in the first century? Well, one of the things that I've I've learned, and and it is believed that they uh, that they did things with memorization and so on. Uh, they would do uh, they would do different types of devices. You know, uh, we we hesitate to use the word creeds because it is misunderstood. But 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 the idea of memorizing memorizing uh, something and and they think that there are several examples of these things in the new testament uh one example would be would be first uh, corinthians 15 verses one through four yes sir where, where where paul just summarizes the gospel and he just he, he goes down point after point after point it could be that the way that they did that was they would memorize little things like that you you might also think that you know they were told to sing Yes. You know, you know, how many of us learn the word of God, among other ways, by by coming together to worship and singing hymns to God, which is why we emphasize our hymns need to be scriptural, because we are teaching and admonishing one another. So I just wanted to kind of mention that, you know, prior to the actual manuscripts. And by the way, don't forget, even when they received the manuscripts, which started and remember that they started 25 20 to 25 years after the lord arose and ascended they didn't get the complete all all, all they might have had was one letter and then it had to be copied multiple times and circulated among brethren and so on so so it was a challenging uh, text but but uh they still had the commission go into all the world and preach the gospel obviously if they could do it under those circumstances, why can't we do it under ours with like, you know, as has been pointed out, we've got all Bibles all over the place. You know, by the way, you knock on somebody's door and ask if they're interested in a Bible study. You assume they have a Bible. What if they don't? Give them one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have we have plenty of extras. So give them one. Yeah. So anyway, go, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead, Brian. With, with the comments there, uh, let me grab yes. that in, sorry. Uh, so the answer to the question Gregor Hinckley gave us is this, the power of belief, knowledge. Fulfilling the prophets and raising from the dead is proof that he is the son of God. 
establishing the authority of Christ? Good answer. If we wanted a, a, a scripture to put that with, I love Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul said he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's quickly now go to verses uh, 44 through the close of the chapter. And Paul, if you would, please read that context for us. And then I'm going to use you and Tom a little bit and bounce it around to all of us in the discussion of this very important part of the subject of Cornelius. Be happy to read that. We're in Acts 10. I'll begin at verse 44 and read through the end of the chapter. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many, came, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Thank you, Paul. Now, for the chat room, and, and thank you, Brian, for keeping me up to date on the messenger side of things. Sometimes my phone shuts off, so don't, don't hesitate to cue me in. In the chat room, let's place this question. What gift of the Spirit do all who are baptized receive? That generates a great deal of thought because in this particular section, quite honestly, there are some things that are misunderstood and other things assumed. I, I'm, a, I'm quite, uh, uh, quite adamant about the fact that we don't need to be adding or subtracting anything from the Word of God. Let's take what we've got and learn from it. What happened while Peter is preaching? I'll just well, go to anybody. What happened? Go ahead. You had given that to me. Uh, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word, and uh, we find out that they spoke in tongues, and uh, they used that as evidence of why uh, the Gentile believers would be allowed to be baptized into Christ without becoming Jews, uh, so that uh, because God had clearly showed his approval by the actions on this day. We need, and I appreciate that, Paul. We need to factor that into this understanding. Peter, though he was told to go to the house of Cornelius, doubting nothing, is still a Jew. And all of this acquaintance now with Gentiles would have an emotional impact on him, though he realizes God has told him, whatever God has cleansed, don't call common or unclean. He's now realized he's spoken to these Gentiles the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's one thing he had not yet done. He had not told them to repent and confess and be immersed in the name of Christ for the remission of their sins. Are we all agreed that this gift that came upon the house of Cornelius without the laying on of hands was given simply to confirm to Peter it's right to baptize these Gentiles. 
Well, he asked the question, who can forbid water, based upon the fact that they had received um, well, what he calls there the same gift. Uh, and so uh, it, it seems to be that this is this is a testifying uh, that they were to be baptized just as others were uh, prior to this time. Exactly so. These, this, this was an indication to Peter and to the Jews that were with Peter, remember, that it's okay. God has, has, God makes the cleansing of the soul. That I, I was in a discussion just this past week with a lady who's trying to study with a friend of hers. And her friend believes that somehow or other, mankind has been given the ability to forgive sins or retain sins. And they go to John 15 and make a uh, an unusual interpretation of Scripture. I believe absolutely a wrong interpretation of Scripture about the power that was given to the apostles. But nonetheless, she believes that mankind has this power to forgive sins. This was God's way of showing Peter, we can accept these folks into the kingdom of Christ. They need to be immersed. And so, uh, Tom, if you would, what was it then that Peter commanded of this house of Cornelius? Well, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, uh, basically to do the same thing that he told uh, uh, told uh, the brethren to do on the day of Pentecost. He told the Jews on the day that the church began here, he tells the Gentiles to do the same thing. Exactly so. I, I, I like, uh, as I said earlier, I love to focus on that word command. I don't find any place where baptism optional. I don't find any place in the scripture where someone has been given the gospel of Christ, explained to them the, the plan of salvation, as we call it, and then the Lord says, or the apostles say, or anybody else says, now you can obey this if you wish. This is a commandment. They, 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 were, they were given no option. And remember that Cornelius says, we're here to hear all things that are that that you've been taught God. At verse 33, let's emphasize that. We are here to all, hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Obviously, hearing the gospel, believing it, repenting of sins, confessing Christ, and being immersed are not options. They are commandments that must be obeyed. And Peter is insisting, as rightfully so, by the Spirit, that this house of Cornelius obey that same gospel that he preached on Pentecost, just as Tom pointed out. So now let, let's let's uh, go back to that chat room question, Brian. Are there are there answers to that as to what uh, what is received today when folks are immersed into Christ? Well, before we get there, Mike, I just had a real quick comment to make. Sure. I want to point out that in chapter eleven and verse fourteen. Uh, very much related to the things you're talking about right now, Paul, uh, or as Peter is recounting this, he, the, the, the text is just a little bit different, and it gives us a little more insight. The, Peter says he has come there to tell them the things that they must do to be saved. Mm -hmm. but it's clear by the statement there in verse uh, 15 that before he could tell them what they needed to do to be saved, the Holy Spirit fell on them. So the irony mm -hmm. is, or, or the, the necessary inference is, that it wasn't until after that moment that he was able then to tell them the thing that they must do to be saved. So this is one of those indications for us. Uh, and and sometimes it'll be important next week, we're going to be in chapter 11, and we'll emphasize this again, that 
up until the very end of the chapter, Peter still had not told them what they must do to be saved. So it's that last statement that, as you, you rightly emphasize, commandment, that that's the thing that they must do to be saved. And that, that's pretty critical to the conversation, too. So well, and, and Let me add, I, I agree with that, Brian, and I appreciate you bringing that up. I think it's important that we let our viewers know especially that the house of Cornelius, though they received this gift of speaking in tongues, that did not save them from anything. Right. Merely indicated to Peter, now I can tell them what they must do to be saved. You know, oftentimes... That's that's all this was. Yeah, oftentimes, Mike, people will say that the speaking in tongues was a sign of their salvation. I always say, well, Balaam's donkey could speak in a tongue. Uh, that's a good say. point. That's so, a good point. Say. So it's not a, it's not a testimony of salvation. It is not at all. And that's that's what we must make clear from this. This was a gift that was given them without the laying on of hands. And and if it had if it had been something of salvation before baptism or even without baptism, then the question is begged at verse 48, why have Peter to tarry certain days? They wouldn't have needed him. Yep. They wouldn't have needed him. All right, let's let's go back then to the chat room, and then I'm going to turn it back to John and ask him, what are we going to do now? <laughs> that chat room question, I've, I've misplaced the paper here. The chat room question again is, what gift of the Spirit do all who are baptized receive? And we'll not find that in chapter 10, but we do have a good answer for that. Did anybody respond? Yes, we do. We have a, we have a response for complete. Uh, answered it uh, and and gave us a really good answer because he also cited proof of that. Good. And forgiveness. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Even John the Baptist preached baptism for the remission of sins. Agreed the Holy Spirit was proof. And the second point, it looks like it's it's more to answer the comments we were making earlier. Agreed. The the Holy Spirit was proof more to Peter than to Cornelius. Again, Gregor's kind of thinking ahead to chapter 11 there, which is exactly right. His mind is on the right place there. That's good. Well, and and we might also add 1 John 2 and verse 25, where when Peter had said at Acts 2 and verse uh, 39, the promises unto you and to your children, to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, we find in 1 John 2 verse 25, this is the promise that he has promised you, even eternal life. That promise cannot be given to any soul until that soul has been immersed in the name of Christ for the commission of their sins, risen to walk in newness of life, and remaining faithful unto death. That's the condition of that promise. Well, gentlemen, I thank you for the study, and I turn it back to John to guide us where we're going from here. Oh. I, can, I can read lips for John if John needs me to read his lips. So. <laughs> uh, there we go. I turned my mic off so I could cough earlier. <laughs> um, what it what could be confusing sometimes is in the text that we read today, we saw in reference to what happened to Cornelius, I think Peter called it the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that the application of that statement in this context it does bleed over to Acts 2.38 because of the, the, yes. the term is very similar. And so I, I think it was good that the discussion we had in regards to to what that is. I know there's been many Bible classes that you'll, you could probably get three or four different views as to what the actual gift of the Holy Spirit is in Acts 2, verse 38. But in this context, it's very limited. And um, I think it was um, 
it helps us to understand it here, you know. But I liked the comment left in the chat room. I, th I thought that was a very good answer. Excellent well. comment. Yeah. Well, um, Mike, you have uh, brought us to the end of Chapter 10. Um, let's see. Let, I'll go ahead and start with you since you led the this study. Do you have any final thoughts or comments on this I, before I would, we close? I, I would add just a couple of things, uh, and, and I'll not take much time at all to do it. I'd like I'd like to remind the viewers of these truth factoring points that we've seen in this chapter, and it follows all the way through the book of Acts, which should be called some of the Acts of some of the apostles, mostly the apostle Paul. But be that as it may, the acts of obedience here that we find through all these chapters takes each of these five points to heart. First. We must understand that God's not going to send visions to gain our attention. He's given us the written word, Romans 1, verse 17. Or, uh, yes, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Point number two. We find that both Cornelius and Peter were men of prayer, Christians especially must understand we need to pray without ceasing. There isn't any article of our life but what it could be prefaced with prayer and needs to be. It's not just a matter of asking God's blessings on the sick, the, the infirm, the sorrowful, uh, guiding us in our daily walks of life and all that. It is a matter of fervently asking God, open my heart, increase my faith, help me to understand thy word more fervently. Third, we need to understand that all men need the gospel. We talked about the fact that Peter was not allowed to be a respecter of persons. In our day and time, that seems to be a cultural problem. We'd rather talk to people that are a little better to do than the gutter people, as we might say. We don't want to be around filth and degradation and that type of thing. But friends, those people have souls too. You remember when the woman came into Simon the leper's house and he said in his mind, at least that Jesus could not have been a prophet. If he knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't have had anything to do with her. And yet Jesus gave her sins. Well, how are these people that have a lifestyle that we all deplore? How are they to change their lives? If we don't teach them the gospel, Paul said, if our gospel be hidden, they're lost. Well, if the lost are lost because someone hid the gospel, what's God going to do with us to do the hiding? We need to teach everyone we see. And finally, we need to understand that without respect of persons, everyone is entitled to obey this gospel, and it's not by invitation. Please understand, Cornelius was commanded to be baptized, and likewise, his, the Lord is spoken of, of our Lord his commandments are not grievous. We need to be busy telling people this is an insistence of God of heaven. It's not something that we implore people to do. It's not something that we just come around and say, this is what you do to join the church. You can't join it anyway. The Lord adds you to it when you are compliant with his commandments. We beg you, sit down and study that fact and become compliant, obedient, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're muted again.
All right. How about now? Got Start it over now. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mike, for those closing thoughts. I appreciate it. Very, very Thank well you. pointed. Uh, Brian, do you have any final thoughts or comments? I don't. Great chapter. Great study, Mike. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. And let's see. Um, Paul, any final thoughts? No, I appreciate all Mike's work uh, on uh, getting us through this chapter. Uh, some very important things. And, and the discussion of these things will continue next time into Chapter 11 as Brian will lead us. That's right. That's right. Uh, Shelton, any final thoughts? No, appreciated it, Mike. And uh, looking forward to, to Brian's study on Chapter 11. And Tom. No, uh, no. Again, thanks, everybody. Uh, look forward to next week. Okay. Um, we have our gospel meeting coming up here um, the second week of June. And David Banning from Texas um, is scheduled to hold our meeting for us. And so I'm I'm planning on having him to join us for the study then. That I can't remember the date, but it's going to be the second Wednesday in June. And I'm either we'll be squished in together like this. Or I'll maybe open it up, have a little more breathing room. But we'll have him to come in to the study as well. Um, Good. Okay. So next week, we're in Chapter 11 of the Book of Acts with Brian hosting the study. And you're, if you were able to join us, please do so. Um, that'll be 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. That's noon in the Eastern Time Zone. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.